Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Took them so long to 
to get the guy to care that he died right there. I, I think they, instead of just rushing him through, they had to wait for an ambulance or something to pick him up and drive him around the side of the building. Anyway, it's a disaster. And here, uh, to continue, and they say very few VA employees have been indicted or arrested for these crimes. Of course, we know that's true. They get promotions. Over 8,000 veterans a year are committing suicide because they cannot get access to federally mandated health care as earned benefits, the equivalent of a World War II baton death march every year. Because of this, a group of veterans is suing the United States of America, the United States Department of Veterans Affairs, and the Secretary of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. When they instituted this lawsuit, it was um, Eric um, Shinseki, I believe his name was, and now it's a fellow by the name of McDonald, I believe. But also, not just the secretary, the current secretary, but past secretary is still living. And we're going to speak now with two of these veterans who are involved in this enterprise, this movement. And one of them is Tony Woody, and the other is Gary Kendall. Let me get them on the line here. All right. Tony, are you out there? Yes, I am. Okay, Gary. Thank you very much for having us today. Yes, I'm here, and thank you for having us on the show. Of course, I'm glad we could have you. So why don't we, before we get into this, why don't we start with your backgrounds. Tony, why don't you let the listeners know a little bit about who you are, where, where you're from, and your your time in the military, and how you got involved in this matter. Okay. Um, well, uh, I now live in uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, which is about 40, 45 minutes north of Boston. Uh, but I grew up in Texas, in a little town in East Texas. And at 18 years old, I joined the Navy uh, because my dad was in the Navy, and I decided I would do the same thing. He uh, he joined the Navy at 16 years old and lied about his age uh, for World War II. And ironically, I lived 20 minutes from where his ship was built. When he joined the Navy, he climbed on board the USS uh, stock built right here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, at the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. And he uh, gave it its shakedown cruise and then went through the Panama Canal for the duration of the war. And so that was my uh, motivation to join the Navy as well. And uh, so at 18 years old, I got sent to uh, right out of boot camp in, uh, in A school. I got sent to a squadron in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, called P-3 Orions. The aircraft is called a P-3 Orion. It's a large, four-engine, heavyweight, turboprop aircraft. weighs about 70 tons. And uh, its mission was long-range patrol, mostly for anti-submarine warfare, but I also flew in the EP-3 spy plane electronic surveillance aircraft version, so I had a top-secret clearance as well. Uh, but at 18 years old, I asked the skipper what it was like to fly one, and he said, come with me and I'll show you. And it, he, I'd been in the squadron 10 days, and he literally put me in the flight engineer seat, and the next thing I know, I'm pushing power levers. And two hours earlier, I was selling hot dogs in a squadron snack bar. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and I got he hooked me deep and said, by the way, son, you know you can do that job, and uh, that was it. So by the time I was 21 years old, I was already a qualified flight engineer on a $80 million, 70-ton heavyweight airplane. And I did that my whole career. I did 22 years of uh, uh, flying. And uh, part of my career, I was also stationed at a research and development 
and, and that's when I volunteered to help uh, do test and evaluation when they were developing new suits to defend troops from chemical biological attack. And we had to test them under combat-type conditions, so I used to ride in a centrifuge pulling 7, 8, up to 9 Gs. You know, 1 G is where we're at right now with your body weight at 1 G is whatever you weigh. You know, if you weigh 200 pounds, you know, you're 200 at 1 G. At 9 Gs, you weigh 1,800 pounds. So that gives you an idea of the forces I took. I also rode the ejection tower simulator, which simulates the forces of an ejection out of an airplane. We had to test these suits in a manner that would uh, that were combat-type conditions to make sure they would maintain their integrity. And, uh, um, and the irony of it all is my son is an active-duty Marine Corps right now. He's a gunnery sergeant in the United States Marine Corps 19 years in, and he went to battle with the follow-up designs of the suit I helped build. But I am now rated wow. 100% permanently and totally disabled due to spinal injuries, and I live with chronic pain, uh, which has been a nightmare trying to get access to the right care that I need. And I'm a Category 1 veteran, 100% disabled, 100% of my injuries are service-connected, and I almost died because of what the VA did to me. And that was part of my impetus for getting involved in this lawsuit when I met Gary Kendall about about eight years ago, and he explained to me what he's doing. And that's when I started realizing that the nature of the VA is, is so adversarial across the entire system and so corrupt. Uh, I'm not throwing a blanket over everybody in the VA, but a lot of them are criminals, and we have, and that's what we're trying to fight. We're trying to do it per rule of law, and and we filed this lawsuit. Uh, it's it's some heavy duty complaints, deprivation of civil rights, intentional infliction of emotional and physical distress, conspiratorial deprivation of civil rights, uh, many others, up to and including slander, malpractice, wrongful death, and we included genocide and terrorism. And no lawyer would take our case. They didn't like the way it was worded. We are warriors. We're not politicians. So we called it like we saw it. And that's what Gary did when he wrote all this up, and he nailed it. And so because we couldn't get lawyers, Gary and several of us, several other veterans, joined forces, and we adapt and overcome. That's what warriors do. Gary and several, especially Gary, learned how to write legalese and approach the courts on our own. We are the only, as far as I know, we are the only non-lawyers to ever litigate a case all the way up to the point where we submitted a writ of certiori requesting a hearing to the United States Supreme Court. That's how serious we are about this. And wait till you hear what happened. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And Gary, I know I guess your call dropped and I called you back. Yes. Let me yes, Thank let me you. just say this. Sure, of course. Let me just say this that of course we have a, you know a, a way for listeners to call in. Let me give that call-in number and, and you guys also if your calls drop then you might want to write this number down too. It's area code 347. I think that's like a New York exchange, one of those new New York exchanges, new relatively new. 2157292 that's 3472157292 that's the guest call in number so <clears throat> Gary if you drop again and you want to call before I call you you could you could use that number same for you Tony and of course of okay. course listeners if you want to call in and ask these these folks any questions at some point after they've explained what their what the matter is all about please give a call 
And I think when you call in, if you want to talk, you need to like press, I think, number one. I believe that it, that's correct. And if there's people who want to call up and heckle and waste our time, we're not going to put up with that. We're, we're just going to hang up on you. I don't like to hang up on people or, or mute people, but if, if you're going to disrupt the flow of information here, then we have no choice. Gary, why don't you go ahead and, and tell listeners your history, where you're from, and, and your time in the military, how you got involved in this. Okay. <clears throat> I was born and raised in the Northeast in Portland, Maine, was where I was born. Um, entered the Air Force right out, out of high school during Vietnam. And they put me in uh, a career field with a long name, flight tactics, simulation, bombing, navigation, uh, huge long name. Basically, I got to play with million, multi-million dollar simulators, teaching air crews how to get over the battle and back alive. Um, I made it to E-4 sergeant in the Air Force, did four years, and then got caught in the, the drawdown after the Vietnam War, and they said, we don't need your services anymore. Go be a civilian. Um, while I was on active yeah. duty, I, I had uh, was exposed to toxic chemicals uh, all during the four years, both, both here in the States and on overseas assignments that have caused um, arthritis, um, um, asthma, um, excuse me, um, diabetes. I was exposed to Agents Orange and other types of herbicides. Um, I also had a traumatic brain injury on active duty uh, that have caused me a whole host of problems. And um, my life crashed in the year 2000. The medical issues caught up with me. And since no doctor had ever fully informed me, either military or otherwise, what was going on, I thought I was going insane. And um, as a last-ditch effort before I committed suicide, I went to the VA and asked for help, and they decided to uh, bring me in and look me over. And one of the doctors here in Boise told me off the cuff after talking to me a few sessions that um, he was sure that my traumatic brain injury was what was causing most of my problems. But he said, Gary, he said, the VA is never going to diagnose you with traumatic brain injury. You need to learn everything you can about closed head injury, and you need to fight like crazy um, to get your service connection. And I've been fighting ever since. The VA will not service connect me for any of my service-connected issues. Um, they give me a whole host of replies, like no nexus of medical uh, treatment while they're providing the medical treatment. They say no diagnosis, even though their doctors have made the diagnosis. Um, and now they give me the explanation, this is old hat, we decided on it before, we don't care about the new rules, you were determined not to be service-connected, so the new rules don't apply to you. So basically what they ended up doing was giving me war pension, which is uh, about 20% below the uh, line of poverty for an adult, single adult. Not not much to live on. You can't have any other income. You can't have any source of medical care other than the VA. Um, other than uh, Veterans Choice Program, which is rather new, and the VA doesn't seem to be playing fair on that program either. So mm -hmm. anyway, what happened was right after my life fell apart in the year 2000, the VA took me in um, to, to look me over. Um, I didn't have any place to live. I didn't have any money left. 
So after a couple of weeks in the hospital, they decided to put me in the state veterans home right across the fence from the VA medical center in Boise. While there, I noticed that friends I made at the veterans home were dying, and they were dying without medical care. They were literally stopping their medical care and allowing them to die in misery. I watched as several of my uh, veteran friends at that veteran's home in the nursing end of things were basically murdered by withholding their medical care. Common, everyday available medical care that could have extended their lives, could have made their lives a little more peaceful towards the end, and they were denied access to that. And I at first could not believe what I was seeing. I did a lot of research, um, got a hold of some information, private medical files, et cetera, that... Um, their family or, or they themselves before they died allowed me to see and found out that they were in, indeed being illegally denied medical access to medical care that might might keep them alive and keep them going. And I started researching the law. Uh, a fellow showed up and helped me learn the law. Um, <clears throat> about that time, I was able to meet with Tony. Um, he was very surprised at what I was learning. We were talking back then about starting a a homeless veterans domiciliary for transitional housing uh, because of the, the numbers of homeless veterans were rising beyond belief. There were hundreds of thousands of homeless veterans at that time, very more now, but they don't talk about it anymore. Um, the state of Idaho killed that project cold, and so I turned to the law and drafted up this litigation we made one try in 2010, but all I had at that time were my own issues. Other veterans weren't talking to me at that time. And that one got dismissed from the court saying you can't make a class action out of one individual's issues. Um, then when I rewrote it and filed in 2012 with um, more people joining, and the court went through some gyrations and violated the law and basically would not allow us access to the court. And we've been all the way to the United States Supreme Court uh, on my writing and a lot of individuals' input. Uh, Tony and, and many others have, have all had input. And we did all of this without attorneys because no one would come on board to help us. We had a lot of advice off the record by attorneys. Um, we had advice from ex-Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court justices. We had advice from several state ex-Supreme Court justices, various states. We had advice and input from um, deans of very prestigious uh, law schools around the nation, but nobody was willing to do it on the record, and nobody was willing to represent. And that's where we stand now, other than the fact that we have rewritten it as a complaint of deprivation of human rights and filed with the UN Human Rights Council, and so far they have ignored it for over a year. There's been no response to our filing. <clears throat> yeah, they're human rights, right? Now, you, let me just uh, thank you, Gary, for explaining that. But, Tony, you had used a term that perhaps many of the listeners are not familiar with. You said, I think, uh, a writ of certiori. Is that right? Certiori, yes. Uh, okay. That's basically a, a, a request that you submit to any um, uh, court entity to ask for a hearing. So, in other words, you've been through uh, a lower court system and you now want to take it to the next higher level because you've exhausted your 
uh, judicial avenue through whatever that level of court system you were fighting through to begin with, and you now need to take it to the next higher level. And we had you have to submit those as a request to have your case heard. And they can either hear your case or deny a hearing. They don't have to give a reason. Uh, or they can deny your hearing with prejudice. And when they do it with prejudice, you are never allowed to bring that case up in any shape, form, or fashion ever again. We did not have our case thrown out by the Supreme Court with prejudice. So we still have an avenue, and we're not dead yet, and we are going to push this. Because as far as we're concerned, we have rogue judges that ignored uh, our uh, complaint and, and our appeals. And, and specifically, uh, not to get too technical, but the UN, United States Code has all these different titles or chapters, right? I don't know how many there are, chapter one through however many. But Title 38 is the all the laws for federal, uh, for veteran laws. Title 38 is all the federal laws for the veterans, any veterans issues. Mm-hmm. And you have U.S. 30, Title 38 Code 511. There's an A and a B section to 511, and I'm going to read it. It's not very long. It says, uh, Title 38, Section 511, A, the secretary shall decide all questions of law and fact, meaning the secretary of the VA, necessary to a decision by the secretary under a law that affects the provision of benefits, okay, it's talking about benefits, by the secretary to veterans or the dependents or survivors of veterans. It is specifically talking about benefits. Then it says, Sub, subject to subsection B. So you have a 511A and a 511B. Other than subject to 511B, the decision of the secretary as to, so that's the caveat, is subsection B, the decision to the secretary to any such question shall be final and conclusive. Okay? May not, may not be reviewed by any other court or anybody else. Right? So we, uh, when you look at 511B, it says the second sentence of sub, subsection A, which I just read you, does not apply to, okay, and there's four different sections, but the one that matters most is subchapter 1975. It specifically says one sentence. It's not totally non uh, it's non it is not ambiguous in any manner. It says the district courts of the United States shall have original jurisdiction of any civil action or claim against the United States founded upon this subchapter. Our lawsuit says this. Now, in essence, the courts denied us a hearing telling us in in their reply to us or their, their, um, uh, what do you call it, Gary, their answer when they... They said they lacked jurisdiction because 511A makes it solely the secretary of the VA's decision while they ignored the exclusion 511B, which said on any issue under Title 38 or under the Constitution... The district courts have sole jurisdiction. We brought our complaint as deprivation of civil rights, et cetera, so that it is under the Constitution, not under 38. Okay, so it was their decision or opinion. They ignored their decision in dismissing us. They ignored 511B on purpose. And we cited it. We told them it was part of the jurisdiction. We even cited another. We even cited another case where that specific ruling was upheld by a judge in New Jersey who, who uh, cited it correctly and used it correctly. Okay? Mm-hmm. We, we did all our own research. We figured all this stuff out. So we know what we're doing. You know, we knew exactly what we were doing, and we know we're right. 
and we proved it, yet they ignored it anyway. Now, here's what this ruling means when they did this to us. They're telling us, in essence, that it's about benefits. And first of all, you have to have applied to the VA and submitted a claim for benefits, have been denied the benefit, and then you can go to the Veteran Benefits Claims Court and file an appeal. It is solely an appellate court. We never thought what they're telling us is we need to go file. We, we are supposedly have filed a complaint with the VA for deprivation of civil rights, infliction of emotional and physical stress, distress, intentional, uh, mm-hmm. all the way up to, you know, tampering, obfuscation of records, defamation of character, malpractice, slander, wrongful death, genocide and terrorism. Those are, those are considered by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to be benefits. That is the most ludicrous judicial ruling in the history of the United States. I mean, think about it. Both the district court and the Ninth Circuit said, nope, you can't bring that. This is what really galls me about their decision. The decision of the district court said, one, a non-attorney cannot file a class action, and yet the court rule says any plaintiff can file a class action, and if it doesn't have an attorney when the court recognizes it as a class action, the court is supposed to assign one. So how do you dismiss a case because I'm a non-attorney and it's a class action and not recognize it and assign an, an, an attorney? That's what the court did to us. They said and they were under restriction. Unfortunately, they, they do this kind of stuff all the time if anybody mm-hmm. studies how so-called justices mm-hmm. handle the law. They violate the law uh, with impunity and regularity. Every day that we we exist here in this country, which is supposed to be a land of laws, and mm-hmm. lawyers know it, and lawyers are used to it, and lawyers a lot of times throw up their hands and say, hey, that's the system. I can't do anything about it. So what they're doing to you, unfortunately, is nothing new to what they do to basically everybody. They They have a lot of leeway. And they can throw something out if it's politically expedient to do so. Well, and here's the problem. They do it, and not legal. No, so this right. is what this means to all veterans. Because the district court has ruled that a non-attorney can't file a, a class action, and by the way, there's no law that says that. They, they just ruled it arbitrarily. We then took it to the Supreme Court on a writ of certiorari. That's the only court you have to ask to enter with a writ of certiorari is the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court denied us entry. What this means is no veteran in the United States of America can now bring any charges of civil rights violations against the government of the VA because we have no access to the court. We are the only people in the United States of America who no longer have access to the courts with our civil rights complaints. So what that means is veterans and all current veterans and all future veterans, including my son on active duty, are no longer free people in the United States of America. We do not have equal access to the courts. We are no longer free. And Gary and I and every veteran in this country gave an oath to defend our country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And as far as we're concerned, we're dealing with a domestic enemy here because they are stealing our freedom away from us, and they know it. And and they I don't know how they – now we're going to have to go to the Supreme – I mean the uh, uh, Human Rights Council, and within the next six months, because they're not responding to us electronically via emails and phone calls, we're going to go there in person, in uniform, and they're going to have to pay attention to us then. 
Mm-hmm. Where is that, mm-hmm. uh, Tony? It's in Manhattan. Uh, the United Nations is in Manhattan. Um, the actual right. uh, Human Rights Council is in Geneva, Switzerland. We won't be going to oh. Switzerland. <laughs> You're going to be going to <laughs> well, Switzerland. We're going to go to Manhattan. Like, yeah, Gary, let me let me ask you this. You were you were talking. By the way, this stuff is very disturbing, and I'm a veteran as well, so I'm familiar with how this works a bit, and I I do understand. Uh, that well, first of all, this stuff that you're talking about is absolutely well, true. I well, Dave, I got a question Go ahead. for you. Sorry. Yes, sir. How, how do you feel now that you know you are not a free man anymore? How does that feel? Yeah, it, you know that's what I, I talk about this, you know, frequently on my shows. I I ask my guests, you know, are are we in America anymore? Were we ever in America? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, it's not something that I'm comfortable with. You know, I mean, I love my country. I'm sure you guys do. You know, it means a lot we to me. We for it. Um, this is, this is our country, right. you know. We're doing this not because we're angry at the United States. We're doing it because it's right and it must be done. This right. is what citizenship is. We own our government. Every, every citizen in the United States is an owner of our government, state and federal. We're not owned by our government. We're not subjects. We are the supreme authority of the United States of America. The citizens are. When we tell government, government is supposed to respond, period. It's not supposed to go, well, no, that's not good for you, or we don't think you know what you're talking about. They're supposed to do it, period. Gary, explain to them, explain to them, Gary, why that is due to the September 3rd, 1783 Paris Peace Accord Treaty and where that authority comes from. Okay, this is going to get a little technical, so for those who don't like law sites, etc., I apologize. But it's the only way to put it forward. The Paris Peace Accord of September 3rd, 1783, and the date is important because there were several different peace accords come out of Paris. That is our Treaty of Independence from Great Britain after we, after we fought the war for independence. In that document, um, Prince George, who was then King of Britain, Pulled a very fast, fast for the con job on the burgeoning United States of America. All through the document, the word states is capitalized where it refers to government, governance and government entities. In one line where he granted sovereign independent entity status, he granted it to the states small s. States with a small s refers to the people, the citizens, not the government. That's not a clerical error, or all the clerks would have been put to death. He mandated that that be sent with a small s. He granted sovereign independent status to the citizens of the colonies, the individuals who had fought the war for independence and won. At that time, that was the only thing he could do, because under world law, only two types of entities could be granted sovereign independence, a nation which had been previously conquered, and that wasn't the state case here, this was essentially a wilderness, or to an individual. So he granted sovereignty to a class of individuals, the citizens. He did it in perpetuity, too. In perpetuity. This has been ruled as true by the United States Supreme Court with words to, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, in the United States of America, it is the citizens who are sovereign, and all governance is servant to the citizens. Our Constitution starts off, we the people do establish and ordain 
because we the people have the only sovereign status to create a nation. Um, now I'm this sorry, is, I lost now, my train of thought. Gary, <laughs> Gary, that's okay. Yeah. Gary, this is this isn't the Paris Peace Accords, but you're talking about the Treaty of Paris. It's specifically um, it's actually, the September twenty third, seventeen. Okay, because I have September September third. 1783, because Correct. the Paris Correct. Peace Accords were from 1973, uh, that you know, ending the Vietnam yeah. War. So, there there's yeah, several so of them. There were Paris. several Paris treaties and accords in, a, in and around 1783. There are also newer ones. Paris is apparently a great place to meet and hash out governmental differences. This is okay. the Paris Peace Treaty or Paris Peace Accord of September 3rd, <laughs> 1783. It is cited by the United States Secretary of State as our original and first active treaty, and it is still active. It is it's our peace treaty document, with Britain. It's the very first document that our government ever ratified, even before the Constitution. It's the foundation to be able to ratify mm-hmm. and establish the Constitution. We couldn't do right. that without this one being ratified first. It's how important exactly. it is. That is how important it is. How, how did you guys... This, this, this how, is how the cornerstone of our freedom. How did you guys stumble on the significance of this? Or did you stumble on it? I had a mentor who was teaching me the law when I found out what was going on at um, the veteran's home and and teaching me how to put together litigations. And he was very big on this Paris Peace Accord of September 3rd, 1783. He was a member of one of our, our sovereignty groups, but not a member of the groups that are far edge warrior type. There's been, this idea of sovereignty has been twisted all over the place and and twisted to mean things it does not mean. What it means is we, the citizens, have the authority. We run our government, not the other way around, which every other government in the world runs their citizens. They're all subjects. We're not. We're sovereign citizens. We own our government. We're the only citizens in the world who own our government. Well, somebody's got to tell the government government. that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah. It's been perverted, and we all have heard yes. the phrase uh, absolute uh, authority absolutely corrupts, something like that. Absolute power corrupts, uh, absolutely. There yes. you go, exactly. And then there was a, a quote from Thomas Jefferson about, um, in a democracy, the people get the kind of government they deserve. That one sentence is extremely powerful. What it says is, if you don't pay attention you deserve your corrupt government. That's right. Because it's your responsibility to straighten it out. That's right. None of this stuff with veterans would have happened if way, way back when Cox's army first marched on Washington, the citizens would have stood up and said, you know what? They're right. You reneged on your promise. Cut it out. Pay up. None of the rest of this would have happened. Yeah, it's it's gone down a horrible path, and I, I know it. You know, it used to be that, of course, they called the White House the People's House, and now it's a mockery. But back in mm-hmm. in the days when the country still existed, pe- average people used to be able to walk through the house, through the White House, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, there were no guards. You know, it's just okay. This is our house; we can go through there. And you know, of course, I don't think we could ever get back to to that time for a variety of reasons, but I I don't think personally that it's too late to, to really uh, arrest this power from these criminals 
and I'm calling them criminals, and I've been calling them criminals for a while. Yeah, they are. And uh, let them know who's in charge. And something's got to be done. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not very positive about a peaceful outcome. I don't believe in violence, but I don't un- I don't see how it could, especially with the way that these judges rule so um, <clears throat> discriminately. They just, just you know, hey, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, forget about the law. They do it all the time, unfortunately. I don't see how it is that we're going to get our country back without some some really, you know, significant uh, shift in power, whether there's uh, violence involved or not. But people are just too damn stupid anyway, to uh, generally, to know what's going on, unfortunately. They don't read, they don't pay don't attention, believe- they watch television. You know, that's, well, the that's government's the aware stupid. of exactly what you just said. The government, they know that. The government understands and yeah. exactly what you just said. That is why they are trying to take away our guns. That is why. Right. I mean, that's starting with veterans. All the veterans everywhere, when you go in, one of the first questions they ask you when you go to talk to your doctor, do you have a gun? Right. Yeah. What is it? It's none of their business. <laughs> exactly. I turn it around now. The doctor, doctor <laughs> asked me or, or the nurse asked me, do you own any guns? I look at her and say, I think it's more to the point. Do you own any guns? You're the danger here, not me. Right. That, that's <laughs> that, that's very smart. Yeah. And, and of course, they have been doing this lately. Uh, it's been in the news that they are going after veterans' guns. And, of course, the main target are the white Southern um, Christians. Uh, that, that seems to be who they really want to shut down for a variety of reasons. And there's a lot of evidence about that. Gary, I wanted to ask you, you talked about... Yes how you were initially you you were involved in that a veteran community and you saw a bunch of your your buddies there uh dying from from lack mm-hmm. of care i mean yes that's true obviously that happens that happens as we're speaking sadly but why do you think it is that it, it, why do you think it is that that was allowed to happen do you think there's some kind of uh order from up high or do you think these people who did that were just nasty human beings uh how can you account for this happening with such regularity from what you had seen this is this is a mini-tailed monkey there are a variety of reasons why it's it's happening the biggest one is money since Mm. vietnam the government has failed to calculate into the cost of war the cost of caring for veterans afterward so they cut back afterwards and they don't do the care. Um, it's getting medical care is becoming exorbitantly costly, even on an institutional basis like the VA, which gets incredible discounts. Um, so wherever they can, they simply say, "Nope, what are you going to do about it?" And if you're a veteran with no family left, and you're in a veteran's home, nursing home, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Yeah, we lost. Uh, we lost uh, Gary again. I'm going to call him back. But uh, did you see this also uh, happening? Uh, the people, uh, veterans, being denied care and dying in front of you. Um, Tony, I have not seen anybody specifically die in front of me like Gary did. But I was never in one of these institutions like that. But I have seen many veterans being denied access to care that they desperately need. Uh, and is medically indicated and medically necessary, and they've proven that it's medically necessary, uh, and the administrators 
of these hospitals that are overriding their doctor's uh, orders and just preventing the access to the care. The, and, and the other thing that's happening is that basically this choice card program that they came out with last year is not working. Uh, they just had a meeting here at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire, in the Manchester area, uh, a few months ago, a town hall meeting. Hundreds and hundreds of veterans, it was for veterans specifically, specifically about the Choice Card program, and both Senator Shaheen and Senator Ayotte showed up, our state senators, and hundreds of veterans showed up just furious about what's happening, which is the VA will approve the, the care to go out through the Choice Card program, they go get the care, then the VA doesn't pay for it, and the veteran gets billed for it by the entities that they went through out there. And two or three guys were in there with six-figure uh, bills that had been hammering. They've been hammering them after, and they've they've lost their credit scores. That they they're losing wow. everything. And it, it just it's horrible what's going on. And um, you know, I have had access to care denied to me illegally. Right now, I've got an open Office of Inspector General case that was bumped up to the Office of Special Counsel level, and they don't do that unless there's serious criminal uh, criminal concerns or legal concerns of that nature uh, because of what they did to me when they illegally uh, wrote a standard operating policy that superseded my doctor's orders, and then they refused to let me meet with the person, the chief of medicine of the hospital that wrote that uh, standard operating policy that denied me access to care that I was already getting, was working, and was denied it later. Anyway, well, wow. so th- thanks for serving. Yeah, thanks for serving your country, which is a bunch of <laughs> BS nowadays. I know when you guys were in the military, when I was in the military, there was none of this. Thank you for your service. Everybody's jumping all over to thank you for your service. Nobody really gave a damn. Now it's right. becoming fashionable to. You know, oh, thank you for your service. You know, and I've fallen into that trap too, because uh, I'm I'm a human, and you know I'm yeah. I'm subject to the herd mentality. But when you think about it, it is a bunch of crap. I mean, they're, thank if they want to thank you for your service, then apply some pressure to these assholes who are well. That's what I say to people up, when they come right. up. To, yeah, when, when I get told that nowadays, I say, well, I appreciate your support, but I need more than just a thank you. Here's what I'd like you to do. And then right. I tell them there what to go. do. And I tell them what's mm-hmm. going on. And then you look, most of that them have works, no idea. Yeah. And so they yeah, just look at you like, really? You know, that's that's happening out there? I'm like, yes, <laughs> right. it is. I, I, thought my country took, I thought our country took care of our veterans. Yeah, well, no, they don't. And matter don't. of fact, here's how bad it is. Uh, we have a, not Gary and I, but I think Gary may be looking at it. But he's, I don't know if he's on the Facebook page or not. But I met a guy, I don't know, eight or nine months ago or ten months ago or something like that, named Ron Nessler out in, uh, he's in Indiana. And he yes, started yes, a Facebook page a couple of years that. ago called VA is Lying. That's the name of the Facebook yes. group. And we started a GoFundMe site. We have over 21,600 veterans on that site. We're teaching each other how to fight the system. We're teaching each other how to hold these people accountable. And we <laughs> have started a GoFundMe site. We have raised enough money that we are putting up billboards, electronic billboards. We have 20 billboards up in nine states and over a dozen major cities. It says, VA is lying, veterans are dying. Find us on Facebook. And we're putting them as close to VA hospitals as we can. Mm -hmm. And so if we can't educate the public 
uh, because the media won't allow us to get on on you know the, the large media groups, then we'll do it in our own way, and, uh, and it's an in-your-face style, but it's working and it's getting attention. And I hope I hope our listeners and the citizens understand that veterans are not asking for special consideration. We're only asking that we be given what we were promised the medical care and the benefits that we earned by our service that will keep us alive. We're not asking for the Taj Mahal. We're not asking that every single one of us get eight-bedroom homes. We're asking for minimum proper medical care and some kind of quality of life. That's all. Just a little slice of that cherry pie of freedom that we all serve to defend for everybody else. We don't want to be called some kind of third class in the United States that doesn't have access to the courts. We don't want to be called whiny old veterans, just crybabies. We're not. We're telling you all the truth. We've been trying to tell you for 60 years, and people wouldn't listen. Um, America needs to understand this. When they're done taking veterans' freedom away... They're going to come mm-hmm. after your family and your freedom next. And if you are they already a are. citizen and you're listening to this, you need to step up to the plate as a citizen and take back your government, or you're going to you're not going to have one. You will be subject to dictatorship someday in the future. If it's not already there, I have no idea. It's starting to look like that, but mm-hmm. this, this whole system's thinks to high heaven right now, and if you if the American citizens don't get involved and and fight for this, for free freedom's never free. You must be vigilant all the time. You cannot get complacent ever because the minute act. you do, somebody will step in and fill that void, and it will cost you your freedom. Mm-hmm. That's right. And this is human nature. Do. Our forefathers no. knew about this over two hundred years ago. They warned us in the Constitution. With the Second Amendment, it didn't say we have the right to keep arms so that we could hunt. It says yeah. for the security of a free nation. Yeah, Second That's Amendment why we is keep guns to protect ourselves against our own government because we That's just hung right. through it with the King of Britain. What was that day? So they put Ab- in a- Ab- no, I was going to say it's not for uh, it's not for hunting ducks. It's for hunting something else, and hopefully. It's- <laughs> And God forbid we have to go that direction. That's why we brought this litigation, to try to keep things peaceful. We need things to change for veterans. But the reason we're bringing this litigation isn't just for things to change for veterans. It's also to teach the citizens, this is your right. You have the right to demand the government change and conform to the way it's supposed to operate under your orders. And this it's not is just one a way right. To do it, it is a civil duty. Yes, a responsibility. That. That's right. It's a civil yep. duty, a responsibility. If you're a sovereign and you own a government, you must speak up and tell it when it is doing wrong and tell it to back off. If you don't, you're just as guilty as the corrupt people who are doing it. That's right. It goes right back to, to Christian beliefs. It takes nothing more for evil to succeed than that good men do nothing. Which is another reason why Christianity is also under attack, because a lot of the a lot of what our forefathers had put together was based on Christianity. 
So uh, they're going to go after Christianity. They're going to continue going after And like you said, as long as the people remain dumbed down and stupid and they want to pay attention to the Kardashians and all this other crap, then we're in for uh, in for a lot of a lot of trouble, I think. But let me uh, we have we do have a caller on the line who has a question. Why don't we get to the caller first? And then I want to ask you a question because you brought up about these billboards, and I want to get into that really in great detail. But I want to ask you, after we get this caller, I want to ask you about the media's response and what you have done to gain attention uh, for your lawsuit. So let's get this caller on the line and um, see what he or she has to say. Hello, caller. Where are you calling from, and, and what's, your na- what's your first name, and what's your question? I'm Barbara. I'm from Pendleton, Oregon. I am one of the litigants in the lawsuit, and I'd like to make a comment. One of the sure. issues that were I brought up in this this uh, lawsuit is the issue of records, because I deal with Korea veterans. Korea is not a fun place to have been stationed when you were in the military during the Vietnam War era, and yet thousands and thousands of veterans served over there. They came home. Now they're they're finding out, oh, I've got cancer because I was exposed to toxic herbicides or radiation. I've got this, I've got that, I've got the other. I need records. I need proof of a stressor for a PTSD claim. DOD and the CIA, DIA, NSA have chosen to classify the records and deprive these veterans of the ability to get treatment for the injuries that they sustained when they were in the military. My husband fell off a deuce and a half, landed on an ammunition box with an ammunition box in hand and has a broken back. He also has PTSD. He also did stuff when he was in the military that 99.999% of the rest of the guys wouldn't do, couldn't do, never would be asked to do. And now... They want to play games with these records because we violated the Geneva Convention in some of the stuff that he was asked to do. Excuse me? He didn't make the decision that that this was to be done. He was asked by his superior officers, and he said yes. Now, when they say, oh, we have no record, that to me violates you know, his breach of contract. They made a contract to take care of him. And they have breached that contract many times, and I want to see them brought to justice. That's my comment. Thanks. And that's why, any- that's, that's why in our lawsuit one of the complaints is obfuscation of official records. Thank you, Barbara, for calling in. Barbara, yeah, she, by the way, is one off, of our experts. On, she, she helped write these sections of this litigation uh, about um, um, tampering with, obfuscation of official records, uh, deprivation of administrative remedy rights, deprivation of due process. Her issues uh, and her husband's issues and others like her husband were written in there because of her expertise in that manner. And she's been with us for a long time, and I'm I'm very glad to hear from her this morning. We don't often hear from her by phone. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually have a close friend who... Uh, was involved in uh, Korea, and they did that to him. They sealed everything up, and, and basically he's a non-entity. But, you know, they, they took care of him, fortunately, as far as uh, 
benefits go, but yeah, there is nothing in his records to indicate that. And they warned him not to ever say anything. And he still exactly. lives by that. Yeah. So That's this, this stuff is. That her husband served him. He served him. Right. Now it's out. He served in what's called the Ghost Walkers on clandestine missions in, in uh, Northern Korea and things that the rest of us don't ever want to hear about and are classified, so we're not supposed to hear about them. And uh, now, because of that, they're hiding his records. They exist, but they say he wasn't in Korea. They say he didn't serve there. And yet, they don't have to breach confidentiality to simply say he served, he was in the DMZ, he was exposed, he was his service connected. They don't have to give up any confidentiality to do that. And yet they fight. Yeah, I know. I don't know why they fight. You know, let's go to this. Let's go to the lawsuit here. Guys, when when was it put together? When was the date of the lawsuit initially? Um, It was filed in June of 2012. Um, Yeah, but you were working on it for years. You had to figure things out. Oh, yeah. Probably, you know, at least a decade before that, before you figured it all out. I started uh, thinking about this, putting it together back in the year 2000. Uh, learned a lot about the law and the courts, and obviously not enough, but through a mentor that helped me. Um, strange story there, but we'll get into that in a spiritual hour someday. Um, okay. <laughs> tried a, a case in 2010, and they knocked it out of the court real quick, saying I can't make a class action out of personal um, experiences. And so then I worked on it for a while. I got to talk with veterans on the Internet, uh, learned thousands of stories that were basically supporting what I was seeing and what we've written here, and got a group of people together to be involved in the class action. started off with about 40 of us that gathered together in about six months, and now we are hundreds of veterans and family members. Um, the exact number is still classified, as are the names, et cetera, of most of them, because the VA did indeed begin to retaliate against the first few people who were notified to the court. Um, every one of us has had a form of retaliation. Um, they've tried, oh, yeah. the VA's tried to kill me six times. Um, and even tried now, they're, they're deprived. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of others that they, they tried to kill medically, and yet they were able to get to a private physician and keep that from happening. And that's, that's terrible. Yeah, they you know, literally when, did kill you when he withheld that medication and told you to his face he was going to do that. This is the chief of med, I mean, the director of the hospital out there back uh, whenever, it's not the, he's not there now, told Gary to his face, I'm going to withhold this medication knowing it can cause your heart to stop. Gary ran out of the medicines in the middle of winter, was driving in a horrible weather trying to get to the local civilian hospital. By the time he got there, he, 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 his heart, by the time they got him in the emergency room, his heart literally did stop, and they had to bring him back. That Gary. man literally okay. did. Ga- Gary, yeah, Gary, you, you dropped. It's not but, available. Uh, At the oops, tone. There you go. Oh, no. I got no. That's okay. I'll get him. I thought I thought he was okay. he was on there, but uh, you know uh, we'll let Gary I guess I guess talk about this also. But just repeat that, Tony, about what this who was this person and what exactly did this person say? Uh, Gary was trying to. That was when he was in that domiciliary, right? 
and and mm-hmm. and and he after he had gotten out of that, and he had a big fight with them, and he ended up moving out in the town. But the doctor, the uh, the director of the hospital, flat out told him that he doesn't have any rights in a VA hospital. Told him to his face in a room full of people, and laughed at him in his face, and then told him at another time, one on one, that he was going to withhold medications that Gary needed to stay alive. That had to do with uh, knowing that whatever the medicines were for. You know, you can't suddenly stop some medications and you can have some serious side right. effects. Well, this particular side effect yeah. of this medicine was it can cause your heart to stop. And he knew Gary and was he, in a weakened state, and he did that on purpose. And, and he, he just flat out happened. came out. He he just flat out came out and said that, Gary? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He, his actual words were when I mentioned to him that um, I felt my untreated conditions were killing me, he said, well, maybe the VA can accelerate that. We can stop your medications. What What do you think? You said money before. I know money, you know, is a big motivating factor for a lot of things. But what do you think motivated this guy to use that language on, on you? Wow, I, I for the life of me, I can't tell you. But except that he must have had an awful lot to hide that he didn't want discovered, and he figured that this whole veteran just might start an investigation and it might get discovered. That's the only thing I can figure. I can't imagine anybody telling me what the director of the VA told me on those two occasions. I've had a director of a veteran's home tell me the same thing, that I had no rights. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but I think the one thing in the world they should never do is tell a veteran of war that he has no rights. That's like flagging (laughs) a red flag in front of a bull. I mean, they taught us to fight. What do they think was going to happen? I'm sorry. Not two months I ago, I not two months ago, I had a VA employee tell me that my benefits weren't benefits; they're a privilege. Yeah, <laughs> Gary, what were you saying? Uh, you think you're going to uh, sit there and and say, oh, "Okay, I'm sorry." Go ahead, finish that thought. Yeah, yeah I'm going to sit there. I'm going to I'm going to go. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was taught to take heads off from people who attack my constitutional rights. That's what the military said. You swore an oath. You're to defend the Constitution, and you do it by pulling this trigger or hitting him with this sword here or this this sharp edge or throwing a grenade at him. I'm a warrior. I was taught to fight. You know, you, you don't tell me I've got no rights in the country I served and, and fought for. No way. I don't T- Tony, claim you to have saying, superior rights, but I've got rights. No, of course. Tony, you were saying uh, somebody said something to you? What, yeah, what did they, they say to you, Tony? Myself and, and several other veterans... Uh, this summer, were protesting on on uh, uh, public property just outside and off VA property at the hospital here in Manchester, New Hampshire. And some of the employees would walk around for lunch, and they came up to us, and one and they were heckling us. And one of them flat out said to me uh, that my benefits weren't benefits; they are a privilege, and basically telling me it's, it's I should be happy that I have the privilege to come to a VA hospital. These are and the employees that were doing. telling you that. Right. The employees. They had their VA, you know, every one of them walks around the VA hospital with that uh, thing around their neck with their, uh, yes. their ID hanging there, and all right. of them were wearing that. There was three or right. four and of them. The, yeah. And, this and that's one the lady problem, said that to me. Yeah. They got that's indignant the that we that, were yeah. uh, protesting at their hospital. Yeah. And she, just, yeah. I had them say the same thing to me. A few I had him say the same thing to me at the hospital. 
less than six months before this, that very same hospital had a situation where a 60-year-old veteran went in there. He was having a stroke. They they ignored it, let him sit there. He ended up having a second yeah. stroke. He's now in locked-in syndrome. He's got his whole his mind is normal, but he can't move a muscle. And they, he won a $21 million lawsuit because of this hospital. And that stuff keeps is still going on. Still they going have, on. They have the administration there has destroyed the pain management program there. They had two wonderful formal na- former Navy uh, doctors running the program. These guys wanted to just serve veterans. That's what they do. They were doing a great job. They were having to fight the administrators tooth and nail all the way. They were doing seeing 1,800 veterans a year, giving them spinal injections and to stop the pain. They were doing 80% of the workload that the Jamaica Plains Boston VA Hospital was doing, and they have four times the staff. That's how efficient they were. They were asking for a third doctor to come in so they could do even more work, right, and help the other 4,000 or so veterans that need this care in New Hampshire. They estimate there's 6,000 of us here that need that. And, and what happens? These two doctors get harassed and railroaded out, and now there's no pain program at all here. That just happened within the past five months. So they went from serving 1,800 veterans to nobody. How is that wow. serving veterans? Has, has the, because of the mainstream, has the elite media been apprised of this matter? Yes, but they don't want to cover it because it's not sexy. It's not sensational. Right. It's well, whatever you're getting to be, you're getting more and more of this coverage out there. It's not as quiet. They want to cover death panel issues. They want to cover mass murder of veterans. But who wants to cover a litigation about deprivation of civil rights? No, not your matter. I'm talking about what, well, what Tony was just talking about. Yeah, this more that's come out, out the there. My story did make it in the local union leader newspaper. Uh, I, I was on the front page, picture of me in my flight suit standing in front of the VA hospital, told my whole story in that newspaper. And in that paper, yeah. we caught them in lies later from statements they were making in the paper, and those lies, that standard operating policy that they said they had gotten rid of that they hurt me with and gave me my care back finally because I had to fight like hell to get it back, they said, oh, that went away in 2011, in, in January, February 2011. Lo and behold, in 2012, and a guy named Ted Stachelski, they pulled the same paperwork out and did it on him. He read my article in the paper, got in touch with hmm. me, and said, they did this to me. So they lied <laughs> to the guy in the newspaper and told him it wasn't happening anymore when they were actually still doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, of course, the guy in the newspaper just printed what he was told without investigating. I proved to him. I, I know he investigated. Pretty much. I, I proved to him. Yeah. Well, he can only go by what they told him. They said it didn't Well, anymore. right, but, I mean, you we can. Informed yeah, him and later, that's actually not a bad thing. We informed him later that he had been lied to. He now knows he's been lied to, and he's not happy about it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Have you heard about this fella? I interviewed him a while ago. This fella, I believe, um, Peter McDonald, who's in New Hampshire, who's uh, putting together that uh, veterans resort chapel for homeless veterans, mostly homeless combat veterans. I just uh, met him is. the other day in Portsmouth with the mini. He built a mini houses for them. I just ran into uh, yeah, him right. like five days ago. <laughs> yeah, he's a I've great read guy. about him. Good man. Yeah. Yeah, I just talked to him five days ago. I just ran into him last. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, within the past week. So That's yeah, funny. I, I now know. I, I, what a coincidence that you bring that up, and I just met him. 
That's yeah, that's got to be a god thing. I better, I better get well. It, 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 <laughs> might, it might be. You might want to get in touch with him because he's he's got a lot of guts. This guy, and he is not backing down. And uh, he would be a good guy to have on your team. I don't know how. Um, Consider you know, how busy a done deal. Okay, cool, excellent. So <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about our friends at the elite media. You know, a lot of people call them the mainstream media. Uh, other people have uh, more choice words for them. I personally can't stand them. Uh, I see what they do. I know their uh, modus operandi, and um, they're really not serving uh, the citizens of this once great nation. So now they're serving about... the billionaires that own their companies. Exactly for the same reason that they, you know, you you never hear any criticism about. And this is just one example about the pharmaceutical companies and, and how they're drugging everybody up with um, all of these antidepressants and that and that most of these shootings, these school shootings and other shootings are because these uh, people were on these antidepressants. They've even admitted to, I believe it was RFK's son, that they will never, ever bring that up because of the amount of ad revenue they get from the, pharma, from the pharmaceutical companies, from Big Pharma. So let's talk about... Did you guys approach – now, I got an email from you guys, and, of course, I try to read all my emails. I do read all my emails. Sometimes it takes longer than I would like, but I, I did read it, and I got back to you guys, and we, we exchanged a couple of emails, and it was it's very fascinating to me when I first got it, what you put in there. Had you approached any other media outlets about your case? And if you did, how did you approach them, and what did you hear from them? Tony, why don't you carry that? Uh, yeah, we've had a few respond back, um, but then they don't carry it on f- forward, and uh, and I don't understand that. I and mean, we're flat out telling them what the reality is. We're, we're giving them documentation just like we did to you to prove our point uh, that we are doing these things, and, and this is all real, <clears throat> but it's not making any national news or any news really whatsoever out there. And we're having to do this underground basically through like the VA is lying Facebook page and sharing it with them and, and, and doing it that way. That's the only other way we have to get this out there. Um, Word of mouth thank God for social media. Thank God for social media because without yeah. that, we would not have been able to organize or any of that. Because in the past, the VA used to divide and conquer the veteran, and it was one veteran against the whole system. It's not like that anymore, and we're telling them we are organizing, we are training and teaching each other, and what you people fail to realize and you are now going to learn is that you have pissed off the several generations of the most highly trained, well-disciplined, well-educated warriors the world has ever known, and we're coming. And we will learn your game. We will adapt and overcome. We will do this in a peaceful, civil manner because we may be warriors, but we're not ogres, and we know what we're doing. So what we do is we we figure out what the rules of the engagement for the battle we are about to engage is, and in this case for us, it's been the legal battle, and it's been learning how the VA has been uh, twisting and abusing and using us and what their tactics and techniques are. And we've learned their tactics and techniques, and we're turning it around and using it right back on them, and that's confusing the hell out of them because they're not quite sure how to handle that because now they know we know their game, and we're getting better at it than they are. Mm -hmm. We're coming. Well, 
And here, let me tell you what else we've done. All that information I gave you, I live in Exeter, New Hampshire. Every presidential candidate comes through this town. I love Exeter, New Hampshire for that reason. (laughs) I have hand-carried in uniform in my flight suit to Hillary Clinton, gave her a copy of the lawsuit, and told her what we're doing. I did the same thing with Donald Trump a couple of months, month and a half or so later in in Hampton, New Hampshire, at the Winnicott High School. Met him face-to-face and handed it to him and shook his hand and told him what's going on. These guys know about it. And then Hillary Clinton goes out and says it's a right-wing conspiracy, yeah. that, that, that it's not as, as bad as it looks. It, they're really it's she politicized That's it right. after I gave her all that information and told her what reality is. Mm-hmm. There, well, there you I go. Mean, you, I mean, come on. Now you you really be. don't expect anything from these politicians, do you? That's not the point. The point is, I'm out there doing it. I'm doing my civil duty. Right, right, of course, of course, absolutely. But go ahead, you were going to say something. uh, I cut you off. Yeah, I'd I'd like to bring in seven sentences that President Obama stated um, at the beginning of his term. It was a speech he gave at the uh, Washington Navy Yard, March 19, 2009. The speech goes like this. For their service and sacrifice, warm words of thanks from a grateful nation are more than warranted, but they aren't nearly enough. We also owe our veterans the care they were promised and the benefits that they have earned. We have a sacred trust with those who wear the uniform of the United States of America. It's a commitment that begins at enlistment, and it must never end. But we know that for too long, we've fallen short of meeting that commitment. Too many wounded warriors go without the care that they need. Too many veterans don't receive the support that they've earned. Too many who once wore our nation's uniform now sleep in our nation's streets. First uh, speech given by President Obama, March 19, 2009, at the Washington Navy Yard. And that speech, those seven sentences are horrendous because it says they've known what they've been doing for a long time and they didn't care. That speech says we owe our veterans the care they were promised and the benefits they've earned. Promised and benefits earned are the definition of a contract. He then calls it a sacred trust with those who wear the uniform of the United States, which means he has just said that the VA is a fiduciary responsible for administering the property owned by the veterans. And he says that for too long we've known we've fallen short of meeting that commitment. So they've known that they haven't done it. And on top of that, they knew this. On, to, on top of that, the September in, in 2009, there was a lawsuit called um, Cushman versus Shinseki, who was the previous secretary of the VA. And in that lawsuit, it established at the Supreme Court level that our benefits that we earned are our property rights. It literally described them that way. So every time they take away our access to care or our benefits, they are literally stealing our property. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Gary. You're going to say something? Oh, did we lose Gary again? I think we lost Guess him what? again. We lost <laughs> I'll yeah. get him again. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, what I was what I was alluding to was, you know, you took the time out to uh to go out to these um to these politicians and, you know, Oh, they're, they're not the only one. 
I, I have called up the Department of Justice uh, U.S. attorney uh, here in New Hampshire. His name is Richard Head. Uh, you know, I, God has a hell of a sense of irony. Is not available. At the tone, here, here, please record you your message. When you have finished here, recording, I got ready. Go ahead. Call in. No. So here you have uh, here you have Chief Woody talking to Attorney District Attorney Richard Head. I just thought that was hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but but I called him up and talked about our lawsuit and why we don't have our freedom anymore. And I uh, told him I was going to go in front of all these politicians when they show up and that I don't have PTSD. I'm nonviolent. I don't even own a gun. Not that I'm against guns. I just don't own one. And so right. when I show up, I'm going to be there. And the reason I'm showing up in uniform in my flight suit is because, and I told him I was going to do that, is because that's the uniform I wore when I flew missions thousands of miles out to sea tracking Russian submarines at the tip of the sword of freedom. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm still defending freedom today when I show up in front of these politicians. And so I will be in uniform, I am nonviolent, and I will be showing up. So you tell all these politicians when they come to the state of New Hampshire that Chief Woody is coming and they better be ready with answers. And so he said, well, that's your right to do that. And I said, you bet it is, and and that's what I'm going to do. So I'm making sure that we inform, I inform the higher-ups in our government, local government, so they know who I am and what I'm doing and that they they don't have to, you know, worry if I'm one of these veterans that might just lose it. You know what I mean? And then, but, and yeah, but, but that really speaking. doesn't. Ha- but that doesn't happen much. That I think that's just a myth, like the whole myth of going postal. No, it doesn't. Relative. But at the same time, I put them on notice. And uh, yeah, so. right, right. You're back with us, Gary. Yeah, sorry about that. I believe Big Brother's really interfering with me. <laughs> well, you know what? I've uh, I've experienced a lot of strange things doing interviews. So believe me, it's something that uh, that I I don't doubt. So um, yeah, I live less yeah, than a mile you, you, from a cell phone tower, and it keeps telling me I'm losing my my connection. Yeah, you don't have to apologize because it does happen. Oh. I've had, like I said, I've had some very strange things happen happen during you know interviews such as this. Well, when Gary, Gary they, and I have had phone calls, in the middle of our phone call, we hear it all of a sudden it starts this echo going, and that's when a third yeah. cell tower gets included, or a second one, however it works, and it's creating a bouncing yeah. effect, and that's when you know you're being you're being uh, monitored. And I literally yeah. screamed in the phone one day for them to get off my phone, stop listening to my conversation. You have no business doing this unless you have a warrant. And if you do, you better come arrest me. And by the way, we're not the ones who's effing killing veterans. You are. And the next thing I knew, the echo went away and Gary just stopped <laughs> laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, it that- gets real interesting. I, I have Homeland Security cars follow me. Um, when I drive around, uh, not all the time anymore. They used to do it every time I moved in the vehicle. They'd follow me. Um, they showed up in my neighborhood about six or eight months ago, and a uh, uh, car in their dark uniforms. And I, I live on a circle, so there's one way in, one way out. So I saw them right. go by, and I went out and caught them before they could come around and go out the other way. And I cornered them. I said, where are you guys? Who are you guys? What are you doing here? He said, oh, well, we're local police just doing our cruise. I said, you know what? I've been living here for almost 14 years. I've never seen anything but a black and white unit come through here. You guys are not local. I want to know who you are and what you're doing. I said, if you're here because of my lawsuit, then you have no business monitoring me because I've done nothing wrong. And they just kind of slunk away, and I never saw them again. And they wouldn't tell me who they were. They wouldn't show me the identification. I said, if you're a local police, how about showing me your ID so you can prove that? They said, well, we don't have to do that. 
And so that's how that ended. And they haven't been back, but they know I'm not afraid of them. And I cornered them and held them accountable. Nice. So, they they said, what's happening? They said, we don't have to do that. Yeah, that's what they say. They follow me in cars that say Homeland Security on it. Yeah, I've seen those vehicles, that, that's for sure. But, um, you know, it, 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 so people don't think that you guys are nuts or I'm nuts. You know, everything we're saying, you know, is, is documented. It's it's all true. Let's get to... I had, um, uh, I had a cable ahead, guy come to the apartment. I had a cable guy come to the apartment that I lived in several years ago when this got started because uh, I was having Internet access problems. And they ended up discovering that was a staple through the cable wire. But while he's up there, he discovered something. He came back, and he says, come out to the truck with me. So I went out to the truck, and he said, look, uh, while I was up there in the attic uh, over your apartment, I discovered a couple of cameras and a microphone, hidden hole cameras and microphone. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they're, they're pointing down into your apartment. I said, well, did you leave them there? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, good, just leave them there because I want them to listen in. If they think it's that big a deal, then go ahead. Waste all those millions of dollars of taxpayers' money surveilling me. I want them to know what I'm doing. Well, they found I them mean, at the last apartment I was in. So, yeah. I mean, now, is this the apartment you're in right now? No, this was uh, uh, three three residences ago when they were first found, and they were found in my last residence before I moved. Now I'm in a different place. What happens is I was in uh, Section 8 housing. And what happens is the government decides they don't like what I'm doing, so they cause the uh, the housing authority or management to cause problems until I get kicked out. Mm-hmm. So now I'm living someplace where um, that's highly unlikely to happen. I'm in the middle of a neighborhood where there are a ton of veterans around me, and it's kind of like a wall between me and anybody else. And uh, these guys are some of the some of the uh, toughest guys I've ever met: ex Marines, ex Army. These guys, these guys are real warriors. <laughs> wow! So uh, it's amazing the the lengths they will go to, to you know monitor us and yeah. and really well, there abuse are billions us. of dollars at stake. You know, right. not just, just in this litigation, us. but imagine the hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars pharmaceutical companies are going to lose because the VA has to use different medications instead of the ones that don't work. They have to use right. more modern medications. The VA is yeah. over 20 years behind the times on its medications. Yeah. You know, you were speaking earlier about antidepressants and all the things they cause, the negative problems. That's one of the first things the doctor at the VA told me to research. He goes, they're going to put you on antidepressants. Check it out. Know what it's going mm-hmm. to do to you. And I did. And the antidepressant they were using is specifically recommended not to be used with people with traumatic brain injuries because it results often results in suicide suicideology and death but they used it and uh, wow i was told combat it go learn about nutrients you can combat it over the counter and i did and i'm telling you over the counter nutrients have kept me alive not the va i tell you what they had me at one point over a period of about two years, I would have been on 41 different medications, Jeez. 41, including the, the narcotics, heavy doses of after eight and a half years of, uh, I was on 120 milligrams a day of morphine sulfate and, and about 60 milligrams a day of oxycodone on top of that and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, once I understood and figured out what was going on, 
I was I nearly died from mixed drug toxicity. Uh mm-hmm. and once I understood it, I got off of everything. Everything on my own. I I was had chiropractic and acupuncture care taken away from me illegally with that SOP, the standard operating policy that he instituted, uh, which was critical to my pain management program. And then uh, and then when that, I, I ended up, I was ordered to go to physical therapy and do traction. I didn't want to because I'd done it in the past, and I told him it would hurt me, and it did. I ended up in a horrible migraine in a fetal position, not getting access to chiropractic care and acupuncture care anymore. And then I ran out of pain meds because I'd used more than I should have, and then they wouldn't give me any more. Mm-hmm. Now I'm detoxing and going through the withdrawal symptoms on top of that's, all that. That's I a was, common practice with the VA. They get a veteran tortured and hyped up on drugs, and then they'll they'll stop it and put them under stress that they I hope will kill them. Right. And yep. so once I understood what was happening, I got off all that stuff. And I, I ended up, for the first time in my life, in that period of weakness, using cannabis because I was desperate, and and it helped me. And then when my urinalysis came positive, they said I'm the one that broke the pain management contract, and they cut me off everything. I said, well, I need help getting off this stuff. I need to go to, to a detox facility. They said, well, uh, that's three and a half months before we can get you a bed, but we're not giving you any more pills. And I was left, uh, I was left to to do it on my own. And I walked out the door terrified, and uh, but I did it. And, and I forced them to give me more urinalysis tests later to prove I'm not on anything. I never wanted to be on anything like that anyway. And now right. uh, I have backed them into a corner because I'm on no medicines. The only thing I have left is for pain management is acupuncture, deep tissue massage, and, and chiropractic uh, care. Mm-hmm. And I now have forced the VA to pay for all that. I get three chiropractics a week, three acupunctures a week, an hour and a half deep tissue therapeutic massage, which is not fun. It's not a flush massage. It's all hard work. I, I mm-hmm. exercise on a regular basis now, and I am recovering dramatically. I have almost a normal life now. I'm not normal, but I'm far better than when I was being drugged to death. I'll tell you that. I've got my, my, my mind is back. I can think clearly again. Uh, and now I'm their worst nightmare. <laughs> isn't, isn't that something? I mean, and, here's and a all of that I had to go. Through. Now that is yeah. just to get access to chiropractic and acupuncture care. I had to go through all that. That is totally insane to do that to yeah. someone. Mm-hmm. Not to mention criminal. Yeah, well, well you know, before before, you before, uh, before I uh, get because I know you wanted to say something, Gary. I just want to say I always say that the government has. Uh, the unique ability uh, to create activists. They just know how to do it. They're that stupid. Uh, They piss people (laughs) off so much that really normal people, I've interviewed many normal people. When I say normal, I mean people who have never been involved uh, in any Um, activism before who have become activists. Go ahead, Gary. You mm -hmm. going to say something? I was going to point out that that this is a classic problem with the VA. Look at what they did to this this warrior. He's in pain. I, sure. I need to. I have to apologize because I realize I'm running late and I've got to take my wife to work. We're down to one car right now, so I'm going to have sure. to bow out, and I apologize for that. Uh, but mm, I'll let you guys continue, and I appreciate the time you gave me, Dave. And uh, America, pay attention, get involved, or you're going to lose your freedom. Thank you, gentlemen. Very have much. a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Dave. Um, sure. Go go ahead, Jer. 
here's Tony, a warrior, served honorably. He's asking for pain management treatment from the VA. They give him a little bit, but not enough. Then they start cutting back on it. He's forced to get relief by going outside the VA. The only thing he could find that worked was cannabis. And then what do they do? They take away his pain medication instead of saying, wait a minute, you need more? That's ridiculous. They caused that in the first place. And they treat it by saying no pain medication whatsoever. you got to go without. That's what kills veterans. We're not giving you any care. You've got to go without. It yeah, it's a disgrace. Yep. It's, you know, and, and that's have... what I was going to say about, go ahead, I'm sorry, and then when we what? No, go ahead, go ahead. No, okay, I was just going to say that uh, when you guys were talking about those those uh, employees, those VA employees, uh, you know, harassing you, these idiots, mm-hmm. these morons, you know, don't even get it, what you're doing, and here they are. You know, instead of siding with the people that they are there to ostensibly serve, they're attacking mm-hmm. you. And, that, and that's really why, when it comes down to, to it all, I'm not very sanguine about the matter. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even though there's a lot of people we could say, like the name of the show is Who's the Bad Guy? There's a lot of people we could say who's the bad guy. This is the bad guy. That's the bad guy. The fact of the matter is the bad guy is, and bad girl, girls, the bad guy and bad girl are your neighbors because they're the mm-hmm. stupid ones. They're the ones who really, if they all got together and said, you know what, this is not right. This isn't going to happen. I've educated myself about this. This is mm-hmm. wrong. Let's do something about it. We wouldn't be having the trouble that we're having, but we're having the trouble we're having because these people are just so darn stupid that they don't even know what's going on. I had my grandfather tell me once many years ago, my, my father's father, he said, Gary, there's a difference between stupidity and ignorance. Stupidity is when you've learned and you know, but you don't. Ignorance is when you haven't had the opportunity to learn. And I would have to disagree with you about the citizens being stupid. They're not stupid. They're ignorant, and I don't mean to insult them. They're ignorant because we stopped teaching citizenship constitutional responsibility, and national civics in classes. Now we teach social studies. We're supposed to get along, not lead the world. Well, that wasn't why this nation was set up. We're supposed to lead the world. No, you're right. You're you're right about that. However, people should have their own, they have their own brains, and they should be able to make up their own minds and and, and decide what they want to study. So, yeah, even though that is taught in school... Well, you know, how, did we, how did we find how out? How would they find out, find out about how did we you know, the Paris Peace Accord? I found out from an activist. Nobody ever taught me this in school. They touched on it, and then they were told to shut up. They touched right. on it. They and, began know. to talk about the uh, the uh, treaty that ended the war for independence that was signed in, in Paris. And the next thing I know, the principal's in the classroom telling that instructor, don't talk about that in high school. And I was I was amongst the last generation to ever get constitution uh, and civil you know citizenship classes or anything like that. And even in those classes, they didn't teach that. They told us it was our duty to vote. Nobody said anything about owning the government and our duty to keep it correct. That's right. 
We're not teaching our citizens, so we can't blame them for not knowing. We can blame them for not listening. Yeah, the citizens could teach themselves. Something has to happen where uh, they begin to question what they've been taught. And if that hasn't happened, then they're going to remain ignorant. And, uh, And you know, whether you use the yeah, it's happening. I think well, it's happening let's, let's now. Hope, let's hope it's happening. It seems, we look it seems at, uh, that there's some good signs. Yeah, we, we look Go at ahead. these riots that have happened in cities lately because police have got out of line. Uh, we look at this litigation. Uh, we look at billboards, VA's lying, veterans are dying. The people are teaching themselves now. And hopefully more of them will realize that those of us who are activists, who are speaking out, we're not some far-edge, destroy-it-all nutcase. No, just the opposite. We want to preserve the United States of America. We want to build its strength and its freedom, not destroy it. We want to stop the destruction and set it back on a constitutional course. We veterans are bringing this litigation on our issues, but we're bringing it to teach the public that they too can stand up and say, no, stop this. Why are we still battling issues like amnesty for illegal aliens? Didn't the public state their peace the last time? (laughs) There's a a bigger issue. uh, (laughs) There's a there's a bigger force here uh, that's determining what's happening here in the United States. It's not uh, apparently so. They want cheap labor, and they're going to get it. Well, it, it, and it's and there might be more to it than that besides labor mm-hmm. and besides the economics. Uh, but again, that's uh, you know that's something that people need to study and you know decide for themselves. I know what I think, and you know I, I I'm sure that it's uh, it, it has more to do with uh, economics than uh, than oh, I'm know, sure it does than too. other matters. We can, yeah, we can talk about the mini tailed monkey. We can talk about one world order. We can talk about all these things. They're right. all simply symptoms of the same basic issue. This is a power struggle. And That's those right. who currently have power, by corrupt means and otherwise, don't want to return that power to where it belongs, we the citizens. That's exactly They're right. They're making decisions, and they want to keep it. I don't blame them. I suppose no, if no. I were the privileged class, I'd be fighting to protect it, too. Yeah, absolutely, but of course. I don't think I'd be fighting to the point of causing people to die. That's something I just don't believe in. Well, that's why they're different than we are, Gary. Uh, they're, they're really not concerned. Yeah, they're not concerned about stuff like that. Uh, and that's what, that's what allows them to maintain power, like the Hillary Clinton types. Uh, but let's, let, let, let's talk about this billboard matter now. You, is, is this, this isn't you guys directly, right? This is an affiliate of, of yours? Um, this is a veteran. Uh, my understanding his name is Ron Messler, who got that started and came up with the billboard idea. He and his people. Um, I guess you would say they're associated with us because they're veterans, and we, we've uh, discussed things back and forth. Uh, it's not really a division of litigation. Um, in fact, we recently started talking to him about whether or not uh, he and his group want to come on board as plaintiffs um, and expand the, the power of the litigation. Uh, we've made that ex- that offer to. Um, other groups. Um, by the way, this litigation is still open for plaintiffs to join. Um, anybody can email me or they can go to several places on, on the web and get joinder forms. Um, love to have any veteran or immediate family member of, that, of a veteran. An immediate family member would be uh, a parent, spouse, uh, a child, brother, sister, 
um, any of them can join this litigation. It's not just for the veterans. It's also for their immediate family members because their rights were deprived and they were subjected to emotional and physical distress. So they're also involved in this. Why don't you give your email uh, address to the listeners? Certainly. It's all lowercase, all one word. It is G-A-R-Y-0-0-1-O-K at yahoo.com. And you can email me, and I can send you copies of the uh, blank joiner notice form or answer any questions you may have. Um, you can also get copies at uh, veterans, veteranstoday.com or veterancourtcodes.com. And I understand that uh, we're even listed at um, paddock.com, topic 8607. I don't know if you can still get it there or not. Um, there are two. There's an online Yahoo group called Vetsu's VA that you can join for free, and it's in the files there. Um, okay. Any other questions? Yes. If people want to help with this matter, how could they do it? Well, besides um, what you just we mentioned, we need plaintiffs, of course. The more, the better. Um, we're still looking for an attorney for an attorney or a law firm who would wish to file this. Um, we actually don't believe once filed it's ever going to go to trial. We believe that the United States will try to settle it out of court. Um, we need uh, younger veterans to join to carry this on. It's written to be perpetual. Until the day the government redresses this litigation, it is forever. However, if it doesn't happen soon, some of us are going to grow older and we're going to die. We need younger veterans to come on board to realize that this is a necessary evil, and I do consider it an evil. I wish we didn't have to do this. Um, but we need younger veterans to come on. We need them to join our strategy class. We need them to uh, learn what's going on, why it's written the way it is, and how to proceed with it so that they can take over as others age and, and drop out. Um, we don't need money. That's the interesting thing about this. We are able to go to court for free, and that's under the law, Title 38, veterans' issues, civil rights issues, constitutional issues, they can bring to court for free. <clears throat> so basically, we need participation, we need activists, we need people to spread the word, and the biggest need is we need a law firm or an attorney who believes in the United States and the Constitution and will take this up so that they can help us correct our government and turn it back to the way it's supposed to be. And you folks don't have a website? You're just going through email? I mean, like a, a just, website dedicated to to your matter? We don't have a website. Um, um, we do have a, a Yahoo group that uh, explains it, and that's Sue's VA. Um, we have a, uh, uh, another Yahoo group for plaintiffs only. Once they've signed the join your notice form, they're, join your notice form, they're, they're sent information on how to join the plaintiffs only website or, or Yahoo group, excuse me, but there's no website. Um, this has been done basically out of pocket and none of us can afford to fund a website. Um, like I say, I'm on, on, um, non VA or non-service connected veterans disability, which, uh, anybody can look it up. It's a thousand seventy two a month. I can't have any other income and I can't have any other source of medical care or I lose it. And uh, it's very difficult to live and pursue something like this on 1072 a month. But yeah, it's absolutely. Been done. It's 
been done, thanks to yeah. uh, a lot of people, good veterans and, and citizens out there, family of veterans. Um, we, we have hundreds of people involved directly as plaintiffs, and we have thousands of, I don't know what to call them, co-associates, veterans who are, are working with us, but through through other means uh, towards the same end, like the billboard campaign, um, uh, Veterans for Justice-type campaigns, that type of thing. I mean, there, this this uprising is an uprising, and it, and it accounts for thousands of veterans. We have judges who are, are U.S. judges who are looking at the situation and saying, you know, we were wrong when we dismissed these veterans' cases. We need to reopen them and relook at them. But they don't do it. And the reason they won't voluntarily reopen it is because if they did, that would lock in the fact that the court had violated our civil rights and we would win. And they can't do that. They can't admit wrong. It would also mean that the judges that dismissed the case would have to be impeached. And we haven't yeah. had a federal judge impeached, and they're not going to go there either. No. Now, have so, you tried to reach out to any of the veteran service organizations, like the VFW or the American Legion or the Disabled American Veterans? Um, all of them, the uh, VFW, the American Legion, Disabled American Veterans, uh, and the Vietnam Ve- Vietnam Veterans of America were all contacted at one time or another, some of them more than once, and asked if they want to be involved. And there was either no answer or no thank you, we don't get involved in something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to remember which ones answered and which ones didn't? Um, I got an answer from the VFW and the American Legion basically saying uh, we're a non-profit. We can't get involved in issues like that. Um, I don't believe I ever received an answer from the Department of Disabled American Veterans. Um, the Vietnam Veterans of America basically answered, uh, no, no, sorry, we, we can't help. Didn't really give a reason. Just no, not interested. Right. Yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, I'm not surprised either. I learned a long time ago that the well-known veterans organizations have all been infiltrated by government authorities, and they basically yes. do what the government tells them to do. And that's not that's some right. far-edged thing. I mean, you can look at the background of the national people in these organizations, and you can see where they used to work for the federal government. So I'm not right. lying when I say they've been infiltrated. It's a it's a fact. Um, yeah. No. Absolutely. I've done. I don't know if you got a chance to uh, take a look at some of the work I've done on the DAV, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, sadly a fact. They're, they, they are there to uh, maintain the status quo and to uh, fatten their wallets. Which uh, you know, here you are making a thousand, getting a thousand dollars per month, and mm-hmm. you've got these these um, traders uh, who are these officers of the Disabled American Veterans getting every week between five and ten thousand dollars in income mm-hmm. while there uh, uh, while there are hundreds of thousands of u.s veterans on the streets right now homeless mm-hmm. so i don't know how again i think it gets back to what we were talking about before it's a different type of person a different type of mentality I know I could could never do it. I don't think you could, and I don't think Tony could. We just wouldn't be comfortable taking that kind of money, knowing that there was this kind of suffering within the veteran community. But these people somehow yeah. are able to do it, and they're able to do it over and over and over and over again. And they just they have no problem doing it. Uh, 
let, let me just say this. Uh, that, uh, interesting sideline to what you just said. Yeah. One yeah. of the most common responses that I've had from people who join this litigation as plaintiffs is, if we win, what do I do with that money? If we get that kind of money, what do I do with it? And I say, you know, that money is yours. It is redressed for the damages done to you. What you do with it is what you want. You live a comfortable life. You buy your mom a home, buy your, your yourself a home, uh, whatever. But that's too much money. I don't need that much money. And I tell them, well, there are a whole lot of veterans organizations out there and, and other organizations that need help. You're free to donate money if you wish. In fact, I highly suggest it. And so it's, even the plaintiffs in this case are saying, you know, we really don't want all that money, but the money has to be there because Congress doesn't act and the courts don't act without a very expensive hammer over their heads. So in order to get them to take this case seriously, we had to make it very expensive. And the funny part is, I didn't have to go long, go farther than the very minimum damages for deprivation of civil rights to make this thing worth trillions of dollars. At the bare minimum, it comes out to a total of trillions. Wow. You can't go any lower than the bare minimum. Wow. You know? That's how bad it's getting. And the longer the government wants to wait to redress it, the worse it's going to get because they're creating more and more veterans every day. <sighs> Sad to say that this war we're in now we're not going to end it quickly, and it's not the last. Within a year, we'll be right back over there fighting again, and they'll be sending yeah, more the, troops over there again. That's the history of this country. There's only been short periods of time when the country hasn't been at war. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bellicose nation, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, Man, the, the founding fathers warned. We live in a world. I, I like to tell people that. Veterans have done their job. I tell this to veterans, to Realize you've done your job very, very well. The citizens you protected are free to tell you you're full of it and walk away with impunity. They're free to talk to the government and walk away with impunity. You did your job so well on active duty that they don't know that the most evil, foul-breathed tiger in the world is one hair's width from their jugular vein. They can't even sense it because you did your job so well. And that's the way it is. We're three days from starvation in this country. That's a fact of economics. If the food supply stops, three days. We're less than that from evil terrorists in the world. If it weren't for our military, if it weren't for our veterans, if it weren't for the fact that almost every home in the United States is armed to the teeth, we would have been invaded a long time ago. China said so. The only reason right. they didn't invade us was because we're armed to the teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that means veterans. Most of the weapons in the United States are owned by veterans. Why? Because we've seen the evil. We felt it breathe down our necks, and we fought it. We know it lives just the other side of that fence, and it wants us. We know it. We've seen it. We've tasted it. So we're You're armed right, to the Gary. team. But we're armed to defend you. 
Let me give out the number here in case anyone wants to give a call before we close out the program. 347-215-7292, 347-215-7292 if you want to ask Gary a question or if you have a comment. Uh, so really the point here is what you're most in need of, I think, if I'm if I listen correctly. Obviously it's not funds, but it's it's a, a licensed attorney, an officer of the court who's going to take over from what, what you guys put together, mostly you. We do. We need an officer of the court. Um, there's room for that officer to write in his or their word verdict so that they can own what they finally file. Most of it's done. All of it's done. It really doesn't have to be changed, but it's, it's it can be changed somewhat. We know they like to put their verbiage in there. We understand. We'll work with them. We need an attorney or a law firm who understands this has to be done or veterans are going to continue to die by the thousands. And we've already seen what happens when the public realizes veterans are dying by the thousands and the VA isn't helping. We have to offer 20s and and $30,000 sign-on bonus to get people to join the military for Gulf Storm and the war on terrorism. They still don't want to join. They're still asking, what happens if I need VAL? They're yeah. not joining the bonus, our military. The They're not joining to, to protect us because they know the VA isn't going to back them up. Correct that. We'll have a strong military again. But right now, our active duty has to watch their backs as much as they watch the enemy. That is true, my friend. I live in a in a heavy... Uh military community here and I uh, hear about this all the time so you're absolutely right and the bonuses are huge huge bonuses yeah. it's not and it used to be that <laughs> the work that I did for the navy you know the bonuses were the biggest but uh now I mean the bonuses today what I was offered it pales in comparison to what's offered to uh jobs that uh aren't as um, as technically inclined mm-hmm. as mine was it's incredible and yeah i guess that's why why they're doing it gary i want to thank try you to renege on the bonuses <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's not a good thing it's not a good thing gary i want to thank you for the time you spent explaining all this to the listeners you and uh and tony you you great americans and thank you for doing what you're doing and hopefully you know this interview will uh, get spread around and and someone will come forward, and uh, or many people will come forward to help you with what you're doing because what what you're doing is right. Obviously, uh, it's it's the way that it's supposed to be done. You have it all documented, and um, and I, and I hope that uh, it turns out the way you want to, not just for you and your compatriots, but for uh, like you said, the, the people who are we following. We want this done peacefully, not not bloodshed. We want it done peacefully, and as you mentioned earlier, things are getting so bad. We we're beginning to worry that maybe it can't be done peacefully. But we're hoping. We're hoping that people will change. We're hoping they'll flock to this kind of issue, and they'll turn our government around peacefully. So thank you, Dave, for having us on the show. Well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. Best to you, my friend, and happy Veterans Day. Thank you. Happy Veterans Day to you, too. Thank you. Thank you, folks, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, happy Veterans Day to all you veterans out there and family of veterans, and uh, thanks for everything you've done for the country. We'll see you next week, and if not, please listen to the archives and uh, listen to the other shows. Thanks for tuning in, and have a safe Veterans Day, and um, email me if you have any questions. 
about anything that's related to the broadcasts. Thanks again. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.